0: Welcome everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Welcome to the House of Krause. Our show this week is as Canadian as the giant nickel in Sudbury, as the crispy crunch bar. It's as Canadian even, I'll go out on a limb here and say it is as Canadian as public health care. We are welcoming a very special guest. He's one of the best known names in Canada. He is the chief correspondent for CBC News and the anchor of the national CBC Television's flagship nightly newscast. But this weekend, he joined a very elite group when he became a Disney character. He joins the ranks of Aladdin, of Mickey Mouse, of Jiminy Cricket by making a cameo in the movie Zootopia as Peter Moosebridge. I'm talking, of course, about Peter Mansbridge. Peter Mansbridge, has been on Canadian television since the 1970s. He is a fixture and today he stops by the House of Krause in just a few minutes to talk about how he became involved in Disney and, you know, what it was like becoming a Disney character and, you know, whether his grandkids will enjoy it all, that stuff. First up, though, uh, we have just a, a, a quick blast uh, from a very special guest, not as Canadian, although he lives in Canada now. The Glasgow-born Robert Carlyle uh, released a movie this weekend that he not only stars in, but also directed as well. The movie's called The Legend of Bernie Thompson, and it's about an awkward barber who unwittingly becomes a serial killer. Carlisle, who probably is best known for you know a string of movies uh, that included Train Spotting and The Full Monty, uh, he is right now the star of Once Upon a Time. Uh, he is a very popular Scottish actor, and you can see him in the lead role, as I said, in the Legend of Barney Thompson this week. But but here's the news, and this is the bit that I'm going to play you from a much longer interview that I did with him. Train spotting two. Now it's been a long rumored sequel. Will it happen? or Will it not happen? Has everybody signed on? Well, I can tell you, it's happening. I asked Robert Carlyle about it, and this is what he said: "Is there a train spotting two coming? Certainly is.
1: Yeah, we 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 start shooting. Everybody start shooting that in May fifteenth.
0: Does it blow your mind to revisit this?
1: It really, really does. I mean, we we." It's been in the ether for a long time and um, in fact myself and Danny Boyle, the uh, Unes, and Johnny Lee Miller, we all got together at, uh, in April of last year and had a had a read through of of the scripts. No one knew at that point it wasn't released to the press at that point that it was going to be happening. Um, but when when the boys, we all had the same reaction, including Danny. We were all very very emotional about it when we read it because these 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 four characters, you know, you know, stuck up that they are, they're us. And you can, they've followed us around for 20 years. Wherever I go, people talk about Begley. No matter what the country, no matter where, uh, people will talk about this, the character of Begley in, in, in that film. So it's, it's, it's very close to us. And I can tell you that John Hodge, who did the original screenplay, has done an absolutely tremendous job on this script. You, then, you, you join these people 20 years later and they are all in exactly the place that you would think they would be. And um, there's no way that any one of us would touch this unless we thought we had a chance of like, making something interesting, you know. Successful and other things, successful, then great. But I think we'll be, we went out to make something which is a very interesting film and will speak to that audience from 20 years ago. So, well, we, I mean, what, what blows my mind is... The people who watched this film 20 years ago were probably in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. They'll be going to see this sequel, maybe with their kids somewhere in their 20s. <laughs> Right, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know that—that that I think is just really mind-blowing to me. Well, it is. I've of, never known of a never known of a film that had a sequel twenty years later. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of one. And,
0: you know, and, and it is. I know we're we're out of time, but I'll tell you, I'm sitting uh, about two blocks away from the theater that I saw Trainspotting in the first time twenty years oh, really? ago. And it's one oh, of those goodness. movies that I remember the night, I remember the theater, <laughs> I remember everything about seeing it because it made such a huge impression on me, and oh, uh, I can't wait to see uh, number two.
1: Oh well, I hope you enjoy it when the film comes out. I remember, we we'll speak then when the film when the film comes out. Didn't no, it? I hope so. Well,
0: <laughs> now, the thing I probably should have asked him is, does he hit somebody in the face with a pint glass in this one? Well, we'll have to wait and see if the character of uh, Begbie has mellowed over the last twenty years or not. My guess is not. A Peter Mansbridge. We talked all about him in the intro. He's one of the most famous faces in Canada. And now he's a Disney character. How did that happen? Well, here's how.
2: It's a bit of a crazy story because I, I didn't know anything about Zootopia. I didn't know it was uh, in the works. I, I didn't sort of uh, reply to a, a call for auditions. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually at the airport. I was heading on a news assignment and I was going through security at Pearson. and. All of a sudden, this guy behind me in the line says, you're Peter Mansbridge. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he says, I'm with Disney. And I was just in a meeting where we were talking about how great it would be to get you to voice this character (laughs) in a new animated feature. And I'm going, yeah, right, buddy. I'm in a hurry. i got to catch my plane. Uh, We exchanged cards because everyone was literally in a hurry. And sure enough, not long after I get an email from him, he was from Disney. The vice president, Disney <laughs> Canada, Greg Mason, and he was serious and, uh, outlined the project and everything. And so from there, I sort of talked to the CBC about it. Cause we have this thing about not doing, you know, uh, taking the journalists and putting them in uh, fictional movies, uh, playing a newscaster, mm-hmm. which is what they wanted. And I said, you know, but this is a little different. Um, and bingo, the next thing we knew we were doing it, uh, the opportunity to part of, be part of the Disney legacy, both with CBC. I mean, mm-hmm. CBC, as you know, has been partnered with Disney for decades. You know, I can remember as a kid watching Disney. Yep. The uh, wonderful world of, wonderful world Sunday of Disney, Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. Exactly. And, uh, you know, sitting there in front of a little black and white TV at home and growing up in Ottawa with my sister and brother and my parents. And it was a big part of our life growing up. Uh, so here was this opportunity that I thought, man, this... This is this is a great opportunity. Even if I have to play a moose, this is a great opportunity. And uh, and so we went from there.
0: It's not the first time that you've gotten a gig in an airport. That's (laughs) kind of sort of brings the whole thing full circle. It
2: does bring it full circle. And it's really tough to explain to uh, journalism students that, in fact, I started, you know, I got my start in this business in an airport. It was uh, Churchill, Manitoba, 1968. I was 19. I was a high school dropout. I am a high school dropout. Uh, and uh, I was working uh, at the airport doing everything from loading bags on the plane, fueling aircraft, selling the odd ticket. Uh, when one day on the flight to uh, Winnipeg from Churchill. The ticket agents were busy, asked me to announce the flight on the PA system. I got up there, I did the, you know, Transair flight 106, thompson <laughs> Paul Winnipeg, now ready for boarding. And um, there was a fellow in, in the waiting room who was the? It turns out was the manager of the CBC Northern Service Station in Churchill. He comes up, he says, "Hey, you got a great voice. Have you ever thought about being in broadcasting?" And I said, "No, I've never thought about that." And he said, "Well, i You know, I run the station here, and I've got a job opening for the late night shift. Uh, would you be interested?" And I thought, "This is crazy," but it was 1968. It was before this kind of big boom in broadcasting, especially in in, in journalism. He had nobody. He couldn't get anybody to take this job. Nobody. <laughs> because but, of the hours? Because of? Because of everything. Yeah. You know? Uh, but probably the hours. In Churchill, there weren't many people standing at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, I, you know, I, I, I got this job. And I, I realized very quickly, I was a late night DJ. I realized very quickly two things. One, I knew nothing about music. And I probably never was going to know anything about music. But two, I loved the idea of broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I loved talking. And so I started a newscast. They didn't have one in Churchill. Small town, 1,000 people, but lots of great stories from polar bears to, there was a rocket range there that the National Research Council ran. There was all kinds of interesting stuff. And so I started telling stories and listened to the shortwave to find out how they did it. Uh, Was there for three years, got a job in Winnipeg with the CBC, then to Regina, then to Ottawa, Toronto, overseas a little bit, back to Toronto, and then into the job I'm in now which is crazy, and as you can imagine, I sit at, you know, at Ryerson talking yeah. to the journalism students, and they go, this is not fair. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is really not
0: fair. Have you ever thought what might have happened had you called in sick that day? Have you ever <laughs> thought, like, what would I be doing right now? Because would
2: be loading bags on, <laughs> uh, on a plane. <laughs> uh, listen, fate is funny, right? Yeah. I mean, you, 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 half of it is kind of being in the right place at the right time, the other half is doing something about it. I mean, I, 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 I had not done much with my life except to have a good time up until I was 19 and then suddenly this opportunity was there and, uh, and I loved doing it and I, and I worked extremely hard and you know, the odds were against me, uh, at the beginning because I had no experience uh, and all that meant is I was going to have to work that much harder.
0: And, and that was back in the days though, when there was more of a circuit. You started somewhere mm-hmm. like you know Churchill, Manitoba, and then you went to Regina, and then you moved to a slightly bigger. Like, yeah. I don't know that that happens as much now.
2: It doesn't happen as much, and and it should, you know, especially for for those of us in our industry who who feel like we like to tell Canadian stories. Well, if you're going to tell them, you got you, you've got to experience them. Mm-hmm. You've got to have been in different parts of the country. Uh, You know, I try to tell young journalism students who come to see me about, you know, what's the way forward, and I say, you know, get out of Toronto. You've got to experience this country because it's not, everywhere in Canada is not like it is in downtown Toronto, and you want to see the other side of this place. Uh, And sometimes that takes some convincing. Because most people, you know, they come out of, whether it's Ryerson or Carlton or wherever it may be, and they want my job, like, mm-hmm. now, right? So, like, <laughs> move on, Mansbridge. I heard that a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, you,
0: you really, you, you want that other experience. I'm really interested uh, in your first shift on the air because it wasn't like you had aspired to to that it just kind of happened do you remember the first time that you walked into a newsroom I remember mine vividly
2: well as I said we didn't have a newsroom in in Churchill (laughs) when when I started I I basically had to to make one but I do remember my very first on-air words at the CBC 1968 September was around the 18th or 19th (laughs) of September my very first words were one moment, please. <laughs> I'd had this kind of five-minute training course the the day before on how to work the the, the controls because there was you were on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you picked records and you spun them. Um, you'd wait through the evening when there was network programming on, and you only had to come on, you know, every half hour and just give a station. You know, this is CHFC for <laughs> Churchill. Temperature is minus <laughs> four hundred degrees. <laughs> Um, and uh, then uh, the news would start. It would just come up the line. The one thing that you had to be prepared for was that occasionally the line went down. Right. And so that first night, with nobody there but me, uh, it was around quarter to nine, the line went down from Winnipeg. So there's like dead air, and I'm going, my God, they never <laughs> told me what I'm supposed to do, but I remembered, because having listened <laughs> growing up to CBC, that every once in a while somebody would come on and say, one moment, please. <laughs> while they tried to figure out what was going on. And uh, so I did that, I opened the pot, one moment please, close the pot, and thought, what am I gonna do now? And then suddenly it came back on. So those were my, my first words. Uh, the first show was a record show and uh, I was brutal. I mean, I could talk, <laughs> but I really didn't know enough about music right. to, to do. You know. And
0: was it rock and roll, or were you playing? And it was yeah.
2: kind of middle of the road, right. but it was the 60s. So it was dominated by, you know, the Beatles and, yeah. and all that. So it was, uh, but I, I had a bad track record. I remember uh, those were the days where all the, uh, all the songs were like 2 minutes and 12 seconds, or right. 1 minute 58, you know. And then this song came out from Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. And it was like 512. And I said, This will never make it. I mean, who's ever going to listen to
0: this stuff? So that was the first indication that I was uh, not going to make it in music. Well, my first radio gig was at a place called CKBW in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. And I used to look for the longer songs because that meant you could run to the washroom. You're the only person (laughs) in the building at night. So you're doing the news and you're writing. I used to have to write obituaries, do everything. You know, you did the whole thing. And uh, long songs meant there was time to uh, run to the restroom or maybe if you played Stairway to Heaven, you could get to the pizza place downstairs (laughs) and get something to eat nothing <laughs> worse than getting downstairs and of course they'd have the radio on in the store and hear a skip because it was all records back in those days so right. you know that you'd have to get up there at the speed of in light. In Churchill
2: we had you know, all the same things you would look for for longer music or figure out a way that you could run a few songs together without having to come in between them um, but the building we shared a small radio station we shared it with the telephone office so there were telephone operators there. This was Churchill, 60s. where There were still, you know, there were only like three numbers to a telephone. <laughs> um, so somebody was actually patching them back and forth. And I can recall I was young, single, you know, on, on, on the 19. lookout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was a really good-looking young telephone <laughs> operator who was working. So I was always trying to figure out a way I could get down the hall, down to the telephone office to talk to the telephone <phone rings> operator.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of our very Canadian show. Robert Carlyle, I realize, isn't Canadian, but he lives in Vancouver. So we're counting him as an honorary Canadian. And of course, Peter Mansbridge, well, he's as Canadian as a as 2-4 a of beer, 2-4 of Molson. It doesn't get much more Canadian than that. Thanks for coming by. It's time for you to get out of here right now. The House of Kraus is closing down for this week, but be sure to stop by next Monday. We put a new episode up every single week and you never know, perhaps one of your favorites will stop by for a chat.